Tamari, welcome to First Up. It is Rahina, Monday, the 29th of August. Nathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, we're going to head to the United States where the net is tightening around Donald Trump. Uh, the All Blacks' historic loss to Argentina has reignited debate about the team's management. We'll have Mark Hinton here to uh, join us for an autopsy of that. And claims of lost or misplaced bags soaring the, uh, since the reassumption sorry, of uh, international travel. Some believe that luggage tracking devices are now essential items. Good luck finding one. They were sold out in Bali and the stores had to open them online. So, yeah, they've come in use. There's been so many horror stories that I'd packed like a fair amount of clothes and I carry on because I kind of half expected to lose the bag. Maria, welcome to First Up, Kornathan Rarere Aho. Obviously we had a lot of uh, rain and flooding over the last couple of weeks and certainly I hope there at uh, the top of the South Island, I'm sure you've been trying to sweep through and get enough of the silt and everything out of your spaces and I hope that, um, hope that that's gone well for you. Uh, and we actually begin this morning in Pakistan where over 100 people have died in extensive flooding there in just the past day. Over 15% of the country is currently affected by the floods which authorities expect to get worse. The BBC's Pumza Filani has more. The people are hungry and desperate. Local aid agencies in Pakistan say they are doing what they can, but there simply aren't enough resources for everyone. As seen here, within minutes the food runs out and the team is forced to leave quickly. The picture is the same around the country. We left our homes in a hurry and couldn't gather all our supplies to cook. Some days we are able to eat, other days we have nothing. I have eight children. All of us are sitting on the road. Weeks later and there is still heavy flooding across Sindh province where thousands of mud homes have sunk underwater. Roads and bridges have been destroyed. It's left remote communities isolated, making it difficult for aid workers to reach them. It's forcing ordinary people to make means to save those in need. This is not a river. These are flooded waters that have come in from weeks and weeks of rain. The boat that we're on at the moment usually works as a fishing boat, but it's become a lifeline for people in these sorts of remote villages. Fishermen every day spend their time not fishing, but coming out to look for people who may still be trapped in these isolated communities. We come across a family surrounded by water. They tell us they will not move. We've suffered great loss, but we cannot leave, she tells me. Everything we are left with is here. We cannot leave it behind. The full scale of the devastation will be felt for months, authorities have said. For now, with rivers continuing to overflow and flash floods in some parts of the country, officials are worried the worst is still coming. Pumza Valani uh, with that report. It is eight past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. We go to the United States now, where the enormous Artemis rocket is preparing for an unmanned test launch from Florida. It's going to see the rocket's Orion capsule swing past the moon, and then it's going to parachute its way back to Earth. And now correspondent Anna Burns-Francis will be there. Morena, Anna, how are you? I'm very excited. I want to make sure I get to the airport in time to not miss my flight, because it is going to be... Very busy traffic heading into Florida tonight uh, and probably in the morning as well. I think people are going to start queuing 
very, very early. I might be, this might be pulling an all-nighter, I think. (laughs) And it'll be worth it too. So, I mean, cool thing to get to go and do. Tell us about this mission. Yeah, so first of all, it's not just me. It's me and a quarter of a million people who are expected to um, flock to the shores of the Indian River around Cape Canaveral tomorrow morning. So they've closed off heaps of the beach because this is a a launch pad that's quite the, the furthest north launch pad. This rocket is, of course, absolutely enormous. The most powerful rocket uh, ever, the main fuel body, I think, is or the total rocket of, that includes that main fuel body, stands at about 100 metres tall. So even at 10 miles away, I have got some binoculars, but I expect I'll still be able to see it even uh, needing some glasses. Artemis, of course, this mission, uh, the twin of Apollo. So this is the name of NASA's program to return to the moon. The, the plan this time, as you said, do a quick loop around and then splash down in about three weeks' time. The other launches are planned for next year and beyond. Now, this is an expensive project. I've done a quick calculation to New Zealand dollars. All up, $151 billion. This is not, though, in case you're wondering why they're going back to the moon of all places, not about proving conspiracy theorists wrong. Artemis <laughs> is the start of NASA's plan to install a permanent base at the moon before moving on to Mars. I really hope that it's not cloudy. I, I drove from Orlando across to uh, watch a launch, but it was really low grey cloud. So when it launched, <laughs> when it launched, it looked like someone just lit a cigarette lighter down a hallway. This little, and then that was it. And then we heard <laughs> the noise later. So I hope I hope that the uh, the skies are clear for you. Let's go back to Earth now. Um, interesting times around the Strait there, uh, the Strait of Taiwan. Uh, two U.S. warships heading through there at the moment, and I guess China is is not so happy about that. No, you can imagine they're absolutely not happy about it, but we're yet to hear exactly how unhappy. This is, of course, the first passage by American ships since China started those large-scale military exercises. Now, those were because China was so furious that Nancy Pelosi, the top U.S. politician, had visited Taiwan. And this was sort of its way of exerting its influence, claiming ownership of, well, they would like to say Taiwan, but most definitely of that strait. Now, the U.S. Navy back then did have a couple of warships on the other side of the island, but they didn't move, so there was no further escalation. But China's military activities did raise some eyebrows, and now the U.S. is obviously sending a little message back to guided missile cruisers. They're calling it a routine Taiwan Strait transit, of course, and the U.S. has said it will continue to operate around Taiwan no matter what China says. Now, China says uh, this time, though, that it is warning the U.S. against this type of activity. And they've threatened to respond, but as I said, so far it's just saying it's monitored the ships and there's no indication that anything's going to ramp up at this stage. Um, you know, a, a year ago we saw the scenes there, the the US evacuation from the Kabul airport. Had, has has it been marked at all in the US? Wasn't that terrible? I think we all remember those chaotic terrible. scenes of people so desperate to escape, clinging to the planes and all those things. And obviously in that period of time, that month of everyone, or the Americans at least, trying to get all their people out, there was that horrific attack at Kabul airport uh, that was the suicide bomb going off with the soldiers at the gates. And of course, not only did that kill 13 American troops, but more than 100 Afghans were crowded around the airport at the time. So the attack was actually later claimed by Islamic State. Now, America... Uh, Over the weekend, President Biden has issued a statement saying the attack was a reminder that there is nothing low cost or low grade about war. It was an interesting statement, though, because, of course, America has continued to have its presence in the region, not through aid to a country that's now incredibly impoverished under Taliban rule, but by its military. They haven't evacuated entirely. A drone 
over Kabul was what killed al-Qaeda Ayman al-Zawari last month. Well, Anna, have yourself a brilliant time there watching the rocket launch. Thank you very much, Anna Burns-Francis, who joins us from the United States. It's 13 past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Yeah, there was me and two mates. We were on a bit of a trip and we were staying there in Orlando. And one of our friends was like, we've got to get to a rocket launch. Got to get to a rocket launch. He's the one that missed it because he was in the gift shop. Uh, and the other two of us, we just saw the cigarette lighter miles away. What is something that you've been to on a big trip that you went to see that you either uh, missed? I know someone who had, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime uh, tickets to go and see a, a sports game, and he fell asleep at the hotel and missed it. Uh, if you were like one of those, just let us know. We'll all sit around and, you know, giggle away at each other's misfortune. 2101 if you like to share, if you want to, all first up at, at rnz.co.nz. But we'll go to new, uh, Europe now, where Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, has signed a decree that's going to increase the number of serving members of his armed forces. How will that move have an impact on the conflict in the Ukraine? Well, for this and more on Europe, we're joined uh, by a correspondent, Nita Blake-Person in Germany. Kia ora, Nita, how are you? Morning, Nathan. I'm well, thank you. How about yourself over the COVID? Yes, yes, finally over the, well, you know, linger, but but trying, trying to get rid of it. Lovely to hear your voice. Tell me, um, what is the latest on the invasion? Well, as you say, Russia has launched a military recruitment drive as this war drags on. Uh, Vladimir Putin has signed a decree to increase Russian armed forces military personnel to more than 1.15 million, an increase of more than 130,000. That's in addition to the fact that in Russia, men who are aged between 18 to 27 are illegally obliged to do 12 months of military service. There are uh, exceptions for those who can't serve for health reasons, but it doesn't sound uh, like those exceptions are being readily accepted uh, these days. So this recent push to boost numbers, there have been reports that recruiters have even been visiting prisons, promising inmates freedom and and money if they sign up. But whether or not this will actually have any impact on the ground, well, the UK Defence Ministry says it's not likely, um, given that Russia has lost tens of thousands of troops there already. There are very few contracted soldiers being recruited right now, and those who are conscripted aren't actually legally required to serve outside Russia. But the whole recruitment drive kind it does indicate that Russia's gearing up for a long fight, and uh, that's certainly what Ukraine's bracing for too. Yeah, so so that's how Russia are bolstering them. What support is Ukraine getting? Well, just today, uh, Germany's foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, reaffirmed Ukraine has Berlin support in this war, but she also had a bit of a grim warning. She said the conflict could go on for years. Uh, She says, unfortunately, Germany has to assume that Ukraine will still need new heavy weapons from its friends next summer and that Ukraine is also defending Germany's freedom and peace right now. So they'll be supported financially and militarily for as long as is necessary. And she's also said um, that Vladimir Putin had been delusional in thinking Ukraine would fall within a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, earlier this year, Germany had wrestled with whether it should supply weapons to Ukraine, and there were some lengthy delays as it weighed up those options. But this week, it sent around half a billion euros worth of weapons and ammunition, and it sounds like there will be more headed that way as the conflict drags on. I I see a bit of bad news for yourself there, Uh, unfortunately, Nita. You won't be able to fly. I imagine now that you're in Europe, you're one of those people with your own private jet, Uh, but you can't fly that around uh, in, in France anymore. No more private jets there. 
you've got me at Heartbreak Hotel. Me and all my rich and, and famous friends are grounded. Yeah, I can't imagine there'll be a huge amount of sympathy for those passengers, myself included. Um, it comes, of course, France is sweltering. Europe's had its worst fire season ever. There are rivers drying up left, right and centre. And that's brought, um, you know, reducing emissions, climate change right to the fore. So while people are flying about and blasting everyone's emissions out of the water with a quick jaunt from, you know, Paris to the French Riviera, the French government says that's got to stop. So France's transport minister this week announced plans to restrict private planes because of their massive contribution um, to climate change. And he says these habits have to change. But the Green Party's gone one step further and they're introducing a bill to ban them altogether. Have they, they got any stats on in how bad private jets are for, you know, for climate change? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in addition to just being, you know, not a great look <laughs> at this time, there was a study last year which found private jets were 10 times more carbon intensive than airliners on average and 50 times more polluting than trains. So, uh, yeah, pretty damaging. The study also claimed France had the second highest number of private jet movements in Europe after Britain, as as people do, was um, from Paris to the French Riviera or wherever they may be going. But of course, you know, whether it's a good look and perception has to be a big part of it. And this discussion's kind of stu- struck a bit of a chord in France. So uh, curious to see if the, the movement and, and the backlash, as it were, spreads elsewhere in Europe or, you know, all the way down to New Zealand for that matter. Yeah, speaking of elsewhere in Europe, uh, Finland's Prime Minister Sanna Marin uh, has had to front up over her partying after videos of her dancing and her having a good time were leaked. What what is the, what is the problem there? Yeah, what is the problem indeed? Well, that depends who you ask. Uh, some people see absolutely no problem with the Prime Minister cutting loose in her private life, um, drinking and dancing, and by the look of the videos having a, a good fun time but when these videos emerged a, a couple of weeks back there was some backlash from the political opposition who basically accused Santa Marin of uh, behaviour they believed was unbecoming of a Prime Minister she defended herself saying she was only doing what plenty of people her age did and even went so far to voluntarily take a drug test to prove she had only been drinking, no, no illicit substances there but that wasn't enough to make all the drama go away because on the same day the test came back negative, a photo service surfaced of uh, two topless women kissing in the press room of the Prime Minister's official residence during another party. Uh, so while this is all unfolding, I guess things are pretty heightened in that part of the world right now. Russia's invasion of Ukraine um, is what some critics say has them concerned about all of this. They're, they're questioning whether Marin is capable of her duties during a, a time of high alert. But there are plenty of people on the other side of the coin with fully fledged support for Marin. Um, They say she's done absolutely nothing wrong and she represents a younger and more modern politician who's well within her rights to have a boogie. And uh, Santa Marin herself uh, may have put it best when she addressed media this week. She she briefly became a bit emotional when she said, I'm a human being and sometimes I too need joy and fun in the middle of dark clouds. She said, I haven't missed a single day of work and haven't left a single task undone. And I won't even in the middle of all of this because all of this will pass and together we must make this country stronger, which um, seems as good a reason as, a, as any to have a dance for me. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, from Germany, that was Nita Blake Person. So we're right on 20 past five. I'm Nathan Rarere and you're listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Coming up very soon, the Minister of Fruit and Veg is here. And also too, um, as uh, claims for lost or misplaced luggage soar, people are turning to Bluetooth luggage trackers 
But apparently, good luck tracking one of those down. There they are standing in the air. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Some as big as your head they are indeed. It's Glenn Forsyth who's with us now, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Kia ora Glenn, how are you? Morning Nathan, how are you sir? I'm very good. Now, um, apples. I noticed I went, um, you know, did the ooh, school tomorrow shopping yesterday. A lot of apples around Glenn, but we're sort of transitioning at the moment in the apple, uh, apple department. Mixed bag if we're looking for crunchy ones. Do we have to tell people about the pinging it thing to find out if it's crunchy or not now? <laughs> Thinking it, love it. Good on you, buddy, for getting apples for the for the kids. That's great. But we, yes, we are in that tricky time of the year where we have apples that are finishing up from being air stored and moving into CA or Smart Fresh stored. The latter being more crunchy, obviously. So we caught up with Aaron Knowles, sales manager for Yummy Apples, who told us more. We haven't so we haven't had the best export season this year. There has been an oversupply in the European market partly due to countries not supplying Russia. And back home here, we have had problems with labour, not getting everything packed in time, then late sh- late shipping issues. And to cap it all off, new season now are underway in California, for example. So, you know, new trumps old. Aaron recommends that good options this week are yummy branded raw garlic and ambrosia. And they have just finished their Hailstone Heroes Sweet Tango range, but they've released their Hailstone Smitten Apples, which looks similar to a gala and has a mix of four apple varieties. So Hailstone products do have markings on their skin, but they're fine to eat. And a reminder from Aaron to store apples in your fridge to retain their crispness. I bought Royal Gala, so there you go. Um, broccoli, they all go at the moment, but it sounds like, you know, you just mentioned there if, if hail can hit some fruit, it sounds like rain's affected the broccoli. Yeah, we've got that in here today. I mean, speaking of updates, how exciting is it that our favourite NRL team has snuck into the top eight? Uh, Let's Nathan. go, Raiders. Let's go to the grand final. This- yeah! <laughs> That's right, Glenn. There we go. We're not one of those, are we, in the I eights? <laughs> I know. Let's go to the grand final. Sorry, anyway, Nathan, carry on. Yes, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. However, to vegetables this morning, mushrooms are one of the heroes this winter. They are still in uninterrupted supply. Some late season pumpkin in good supply. Brussels sprouts, lovers get in quick as the best of these are finishing up. Heard that some asparagus has been harvested this week, but our recommendation is mid-September to get the best this product has to offer when you start, you know, chomping into them. Red yams are in season, along with good supplies of carrots, and our lettuce prices are also coming back like Aussie. But yeah, be careful on broccoli selection this week, as you've said. There are signs of head rot caused by long periods of high moisture, so our suggestion would be to buy as you need until we get through this sticky period. Yes. And and Gisborne, uh, home of where the sun is, uh, sending us heaps of citrus. And what are you what have you been talking about here? Who you been talking to? Oh love love Gisborne. On fruit today, more Australian strawberries arrived over the weekend and early Susan blue, blueberries are now appearing. New shipment of Bobby bananas arrived too. You know, great for the school kids' lunchboxes as well. And Tamarillos are here, avocados on the floor, Angelese pears and loads of green kiwi fruit. Just loads of them are some of the other offerings here. But it is the late winter and we've talked about apples, although the other big line available right now in season and eating well is of course New Zealand citrus. We called our man on the ground there in beautiful Gizzy land, Ian Albers from First Fresh and they have six of the best on the menu this this week. So we've got New Zealand Naval Oranges, they top the list, followed by lemons. Then they have the Richard Special Variety Mandarins, which have great flavour, and two varieties of grapefruit, the Morrison and the Cutlass Red. Limes are more yellow now, but super juicy, he was saying. And last but not least, and two weeks early this season, with the required bricks level all stacking up and the taste is okay, that's their new season Tangelos. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Glenn Forsyth. Oh, we haven't heard of a Tangelo for a little while. They smell when you peel them, they really are.
roll a pole, a pole, a penny a Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 29th of August. Uh, Many happenings on this day through the years. In 1833 over in Britain, they passed the first Factory Act. And it came into law, sorry, no, it came into law on this day. And it was passed mainly to save children from those dreadful conditions uh, that they endured uh, in the workplace. You know the old, what was it, Oliver, Oliver, the chimney sweep? and all that carry on that was uh, yeah so that was passed into law today the Factory Act 1833 and this day in 1997 a fellow by the name of Reed Hastings and his friend founded something called Netflix and it was a mail order DVD service and he came up with this idea because he was fined $40 by Blockbuster for a late return uh, and he thought ah no, I'm going to do it this way. We had to go in New Zealand actually around that time with something called Fatso, which just didn't quite make it. But hey, uh, Netflix did that. Then began streaming in 2008, and the rest is history. On this day in 1914, New Zealand forces captured German Samoa. Uh, so it was our first military action of the First World War. New Zealand occupied the islands for the remainder of the war, then from 1920 to 1960 administered it. Samoa gains independence. They adopted the name Western Samoa. That changed in 1997, um, but no one told the customs officials at Skipole Airport when me and my Samoan friend arrived and they hadn't seen a passport that said Samoa and it didn't match up in the books because it was listed under Western Samoa and Samoa. So we got to sit in customs for quite some time. Uh, That was an interesting day, I'll tell you. Hurricane Katrina, uh, boy, that hit New Orleans in 2005 and of course flooded uh, a lot of the area there too. And on this day in 1896, this one is challenged a little, but I thought it was quite good. According to food law, chop suey was in on this day by the chef of the Chinese ambassador, Li Huangcheng. Uh, the story claims that he wanted to serve a meal that would appeal to both American and Chinese tastes. So, chop suey. This day, 1896. And that's why we speak to Mr. Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. Morena to you, Nathan. OK, what, what is this shock and awe on financial markets? Those two words put together are, are never a good time. Uh, I can hear you quaking from here. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it goes back, it's, it's as recent as Saturday, or our time. Uh, the chair of the US Federal Reserve, the equivalent of the Reserve Bank uh, here, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, probably the most powerful financial man or one of the most powerful financial policymakers in the world, uh, gave a speech at uh, they have a central banker's uh, gig at a place called Jackson Hole in Wyoming. He said, the outlook for interest rates is that they will stay higher for longer. Uh, and in doing so, because this is all part of the fight against inflation, and of course we'd be very familiar with those t- uh, talk here, mm. he says, the outcome of that will be pain for businesses and households. And that was enough to get the uh, main three main US share markets falling out of bed. They've tumbled 3% uh, on Friday, their time. I'm just warning now that it's going to uh, wash through financial markets in this part of the world today. Uh, We last had a 
a fall of 3% back in February. Um, And, you know, it does happen. It's one of these things, although you would think that because we're not necessarily directly connected to Wall Street that we should, uh, you know, fall the same, but it's one of these, uh, as the saying would go, if they sneeze, we catch a cold. And so uh, I'm warning folks now, uh, expect uh, a period of volatility for the next day or three. There'll be some sharp drops, probably some uh, reasonable rises. And we're going to hear a lot of people going, oh, my KiwiSaver account. Don't look at your KiwiSaver balances. Just ignore them. Yeah. Uh, things go up and down. Uh, but it would also seem to perhaps just draw a line on the sand. We've had quite a good uh, recovery uh, from July onwards uh, in share markets. And it had uh you know, given a little bit of optimism that things were going to get better, I'm afraid that may this may just put a bit of a dent in that. But um, yeah. we've been through it all before, and I'm just warning people. Basically, um, I don't advise, of course, but I'm just warning it's coming. Don't be surprised, and don't panic. All right, there we go, Giles. Thank you very much, and you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at ten two seven. Let's go to your money markets now and see what your uh, Kiwi dollar is buying. What's it trading at? Here we go: sixty one point three three US cents, eighty eight point nine five Australian cents, sixty one point five six Euro cents, fifty two point one nine British pence, four point two two yuan, eighty four point three four Japanese yen, and eighty Canadian cents. And I just had a look; that'll buy you half a small coffee. At uh, Tim Hortons. It's Mr. Barry Guy who's uh, fronting up. What a great weekend of rugby with a wonderful result. That's right. Go Hawks Bay. Hawks Bay, hanging Woo-hoo. on to the shield. And all of New Zealand rugby fans were happy and rejoiced. And what yes. a day. How did Guzzler play? He played. He went all right. Did he, he? he didn't play the whole game, but he, he went okay. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I mean, good enough to get called into the All Blacks. So yeah, yeah. What about Brad Weber? Oh, he's Brad Weber. He's yeah. yeah, he probably should have been called into the All Blacks too. <laughs> but there it was. I thought, no, this is good. The other, the other one, I was watching my old school um, streaming there, Hastings Boys High, and I thought, oh, this is good. We're beating Napier, and then we were winning by so much. I logged off, and then I found out later on that Napier had beaten us, and the person you just mentioned, Brad Weber, likes to mention that to me whenever Napier Boys beat my old school. So there you go. It was oh, and also, um, being from Nelson, although it wasn't my school, Nelson Boys were playing... In the final of the uh, the Is Crusaders, yeah. Who, who won that? Do you know? Oh no, I don't know. If anyone knows, two and I one, let us know. Yeah, yeah. and then I think they are, they play. What's that? Uh, Dunedin, anyway, for the South Islands. Yeah. Very good. I have a confession to make, uh, Nathan. Mm-hmm. I went and watched uh, Les Miserables on Saturday night. Oh, did you? Yeah, did you it was very good. Sing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, bit of a tragedy and and. Uh, <laughs> See, so, so you were, <laughs> was yeah. there other rugby on? I don't know. I, I wasn't sure there was. Yeah, any. and then I uh, then I flicked through uh, the rest. I, I I don't know. Let's just carry on and see what happens at the end. Really, <laughs> um, goodness. I mean, we've made this decision now. The rugby yep. union, Ian Foster, carry on. I I believe that no matter who is going to be playing for the All Blacks in the future, who's going to be coaching the All Blacks in the future, they're not going to dominate like they used to. Mm. And that, um, you know, you win 50, 60% of your 
uh, your matches, you're probably doing you're probably doing quite well. Are those those greats that made the difference in the All Blacks in the last ten years, the Carters and the McCaws and that sort of thing? They come around uh, perhaps uh, once or twice in a lifetime, and uh, we're just going to have to suck it up and um, it, this is the way it is. So. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought Sir John Kerwin hit it on the head beautifully uh, last night when I was watching him on the telly, and he said, "Look, I mean, wasn't this what you wanted? You all wanted. Oh, we want the game to be more competitive. You can't yeah. complain uh, when it is. Oh, by the way, too, uh, congratulations through to the uh, uh, Manawa Queens yes. as well, winning Fantastic. the basketball league. And uh, I, I saw a bit of, of that. Yep." I think one of the things is they should say where the region is because a lot of people were a bit confused about it. But it's sort of, if you're looking at rugby terms, it's sort of hurricanesy, isn't it, really? So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. To uh, that's uh, the Wellington uh, area and the Northern yeah. Kahu who were the favourites. Um, but what I was impressed uh, about that is the number of overseas players that are playing Americans, uh, South Americans, Australians, of course. And that's only going to make, um, you know, the New Zealanders lift their game yeah. uh, as well. And of course, if you're uh, keen on basketball, the tall Blacks are playing in Auckland tonight. Good stuff. They're playing Jordan. Thank yeah. you very much, uh, Barry. Uh, Barry Guy there, of course, with the sports team, and we will catch up about that tomorrow. Well, our website, uh, sorry, our website, rnz.co.nz, is giving you the opportunity to watch six exceptional short films over the next three weeks. Someday Stories is back for another series showcasing six teams of emerging filmmakers and helping them to produce a short film. So I spoke with the executive producer of Someday Stories, Chris Widdop, and started by asking, who's taking part? We often call them teams, probably because the outlook for Sunday is a background of running competitions, but they're not not really teams. They're really production companies. They're six separate productions. Oh, wow. Okay, so that, that sounds quite heavyweight because I wondered if it was, you know, okay, I'll be the camera, you be this, and, and you're really good with maths, so you be the accountant, you know. So they go on. How, how many applications did you get? We doubled our applications last year. We got 77 applications for Series 6, which... Uh, sort of on the face of it doesn't sound like a huge number, but there's a loss to putting in an application if you want to get commissioned because you, you, you're actually getting a budget of about $15,000 to make these films. So that's why they're not teams. They're actually production companies making their first funded film with, with a budget. Usually they've maybe been to film school. They've probably made some self-funded shorts. Importantly, they won't have actually done this before. This will be the first time they're doing it. But they're really ready to do it. They're filmmakers who are on the cusp of perhaps they've just graduated or perhaps have been doing something else like making theatre or working in the film industry and they've never been funded before, but they've got something to say and they're really, really ready to make something that's quite powerful. And this is that first kind of opportunity. This is where we sort of catch them. How did you uh, settle on these um, finalists? We take our applications and we put a team of readers on them and it's it's fast. We've got to make them in a time frame because it's actually technically a series that's got to be made and released within the year. So we need to work quickly as soon as deadlines passed for applications. So we, we read them in a team, at least two to three people read each proposal. You can quickly come to a, a long list. Um, and once we're at a long list, we meet together to short list down to 12. And once we've got those 12 shortlisted, we actually meet with those teams mm. um, for about an hour, go over their proposals and ask them questions, ask clarifying questions, give them some feedback. And then they've got an opportunity over over the next sort of three weeks to revise, refine, improve and put their proposal back to us. And then they're reconsidered by a wider team which includes our screen partners as well 
And then along with our screen partners, we meet and we make a decision on the final six. It's curation as much as it's not It's not a competition at that point. It's it's choosing the films that work together as well. At the point yeah. where you've got 12 shortlisted, they're really all 12 films that could be made and be really good. But they've also got to work together as a collection because it's a series. Well, the, the real skill to editing is actually being able to leave stuff out. And it's always hard because you get attached yeah. to things. You go, oh, this could be great. So yeah. what, what makes a short film? Like how short does it need to be? Someday Stories films are between 8 and 12 minutes oh. duration. Oh, there's a, I don't know, what, what is the secret sauce? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, sometimes people will come into a, into making a short film, film with an, an idea that really suits a feature film. And it's a simple idea expressed really well. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought when you said an eight-minute film, Peter Jackson thinks that's a TikTok. Um, there we go. Finally, um, so, so give us give us a bit of a sneak peek of you know some of the preview on the menu there of what's coming up. On Monday, we're releasing Mary Mary, which I'm really excited about. It's a true story written and directed by Ella Gilbert from Wellington. It's a story of her grandmother's story. It's set in 1963, Aotearoa. Um, it's an out-of-wedlock pregnancy story, an 18-year-old dealing with pregnancy in the 60s. You know, it's quite zeitgeisty with uh, the Roe versus Wade issues in the States. And I think it's great to remember that what you might take for granted is human rights aren't necessarily to be taken for granted. Another period story we've got coming out in a few weeks is Hand in Hand, which is set in the 70s in a New Zealand school where sign language is banned. So it's actually a deaf story. Uh, two deaf girls developing a friendship at school when they can't, we're not not allowed to use sign language, which was which was true. Yeah. There's a couple of other dramas. There's My Mahara and Birthday, really, really beautiful, beautiful little films, and two documentaries. One called Kava or Aotearoa, which is about a collective of Pacifica cultural le- leaders developing Kava for contemporary use in Aotearoa in a way that honors tongue as whenua. And lastly, we have LARP, which is Heroes, Villains and Fantasy, which is a short about a group of people using live action role play to explore identity and overcome mental and social barriers. So so how how do we watch it? Where do we find it? So you'll find the films. Our premier partner this year is Stuff.co.nz. The the films will be up on Play Stuff over the next few weeks. The first one, Mary Mary, comes out on Monday. Second one's out on Wednesday, and they carry on Mondays and Wednesdays for three weeks. They'll also be on Sunday.co.nz, which is our website. They'll be on our Facebook. They'll also be on RNZ, your fantastic All right. uh, establishment there. They'll be, they'll be up on the RNZ website and also on Fakata Māori On Demand. Executive producer of Someday Stories there, Chris Widdop. And you can check on those films from 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, applications for Someday Stories Series 7 are open now. We're going to call it 17 and a half to 6. Between now and 6, we'll catch up on what's happening on Morning Report. Uh, we'll also have a look about luggage tags and how to track them. And Mark Hinton will be here as we go through an autopsy of the All Blacks versus Argentina.
The professionals of Morning Report are up after six, and the professionalist of the professionals is with me right now in studio. Kia ora, Guy and Espina. How are you? Kia ora, and it's Kim Hill and I this morning. So oh, excellent. A bit different. Nice. Yes, and we'll be having our regular slot with the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. We're going to be uh, asking her what is being done to identify the body of the soldier who uh, lost his life fighting in Ukraine as yes. New Zealander. Um, where is the body? Uh, what is being done to take it home? And, and what are some of the dif- difficulties in terms of the diplomatic uh, Yeah, true, because we didn't send him, right? So that well, becomes really hard, well, doesn't well, it? Well, that's right. I mean, he's a New Zealander, but he was um, serving for the Defence Force, but was on leave without pay fighting oh, okay. in Ukraine and not fighting under any you know, uh, jurisdiction of New Zealand or uh, under any obligation to, to, their def- uh, to the Defence Force here. So it does raise some, some difficulties mm. in terms of the relationship with, with, with Russia. So we'll be talking to her about that and also uh, talking to the Prime Minister about why she sent Trevor Mallard uh, over to Ireland as, as the diplomat there. Is he the most diplomatic character and, and best qualified for it? So it'll be interesting to hear what she has to say about that. We'll be looking at the All Blacks having broken yet another record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably not the one we wanted. Record right? breaking. <laughs> yeah. um, and look, we're also going to be talking to um, the new National Health Organisation, Te Whatawara, and the boss of that, who's been accused of keeping too much behind closed doors. The DHBs used to have these open meetings every month, and they've closed them closed them off and, and closing them down. So we want to talk to him about uh, Rob Campbell, about exactly what's going on there. So that's uh, some of the key issues coming up on Morning Report. What a show. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, Guy Espinar and Kim Hill up after six. Well, the All Blacks 18-25 to 25 loss to Argentina over the weekend has reignited debate about the team's leadership after coach Ian Foster was granted a reprieve thanks to the All Blacks' barnstorming victory over the Springboks. A fortnight ago, the team promised a new dawn. Then they went out and lost to the Pumas for the first time on New Zealand soil, handing the team their sixth loss in eight games. Uh, one man who's been thinking plenty about the current All Black setup is Stuff Sports journalist Mark Hinton. I got to speak to him and I asked what frustrated him about Saturday's game. Just that it was a giant step backwards after that actually taken a real positive one forward, Nate. I mean, you know, it was just normal service resumed. I mean, we all, I think we all hoped that Alice Park would be a turning point, or as Artie Severe preferred to say, it, a, a starting point for the All Blacks, but it was just turned out it was a bit of a false dawn. So that was the most disappointing thing for me, Nate. They just went back to the same old knucklehead plays, the same old lack of execution, the same old mistakes, same old lack of discipline, and, you know, really gave an opposition that did not a lot more than tackle well, really, if we're honest. I mean, good on Argentina. There was a massive amount of effort went in, but it wasn't a classic performance from Argentina, so the real disappointment morning thing, Nate, was just that they made no progress whatsoever from what we'd seen earlier this year. You know, by the New Zealand board reappointing Ian Foster after that winner in South Africa, I kind of thought to myself at the time, gee, it almost feels like if they lose, that'll double the attention on him. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, look, it was a really strange process the way the whole thing played out, wasn't it? I mean, for a start, that there was even a, a kind of a review, or I think they tried to pass it off as a debrief was their wording, but essentially, you know, it was a sort of please explain meeting with Foster scheduled while he was in South Africa to occur two games into a six-match competition. Mm. Very unusual. It, it re- you know, if, you, if you're if you a type that like to sort of read between the lines, you would say that was kind of a trapdoor clause for them. If they'd lost badly in South Africa, and they did lose the first test badly, but if it had turned to custom for them in South Africa, I think it was a, a way for them to 
to make a move and ultimately they they haven't so um yeah there's a, a lot of frustration and mystery about that whole process essentially this guy that you know who's coaching the all blacks you know to the worst record in the professional era i mean just a, a an array of statistical you know depressing kind of lines if you're an all blacks fan mm. um they've actually appointed him three times now nate not once not twice, but three times. And, you know, they just seem to be making the same mistake over and again. But look, he's the coach now. I think we we have to get our heads around that. And I think we're entitled to be disappointed. But uh, he is the coach through to the World Cup. You know, in your article and stuff here, it was really interesting. There were many, many points that were quite interesting in there. For those that missed us, uh, for those people that missed it, tell us, what do you feel like the Board of New Zealand's, you know, the Board of New Zealand Rugby's role has been in all of this, even in the last few years, if there are other things you think too that um, perhaps they haven't propped up properly? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard. the board has been recently kind of remade and it continues to evolve in the modern era and there's a lot of capable people on there. But sometimes you wonder about the rugby decision-making. Look, it took them over a year to get massive deal with Silver Lake over the line just because they didn't communicate well with their players who they, you know, whose buy-in they had to get. So that whole process was unwieldy. A lot of it played out negatively in the media. So that I don't think that reflected on them. Look, they've had problems with the Black Ferns. They've had to do reviews. They've had problems with the current All Blacks coaches had to sack a couple of assistants. All of this comes back to, to I guess, the people running the New Zealand game because they're, they're the ones that make the decisions around the All Blacks. So, um, uh, well, and, and the bigger ones for New Zealand rugby. And it just seems to me that they're getting a lot wrong. And I think the whole way they've handled this coaching situation with the All Blacks is a massive, a massive error on their behalf, Nate. I mean, you know, you, you hear jungle drums beating. I heard them. I'm, I'm sure you will have too then. I mean, is it your understanding that, that you'd heard that wheels were already in motion for Scott Robertson to, to take over the job and go and sort out your coaching team after that first loss in South Africa? Yeah, well, I, th- I think a second loss would have doomed uh, Ian Foster. And it, it, it seems clear, given the nature of the kind of uh, process he had to go through, um, that if they'd lost at Ellis Park, he was gone. Um, and it seems like that, that performance... Uh, unnerved the New Zealand Rugby Board um, and they've heard a lot from senior players who, you know, they do support their coaches. Players are smart. That's the guy picking them every week. It's the guy who, you know, is helping them earn their paycheck. So they are very loyal to current coaches. But I think they, the board got unnerved by by the result in, our, in Joe Berg and by the sort of senior players putting their weight behind him. And I think they bottled it. That was the time to make the change. And now that time's done and dusted and we're going to have to put up with it looks like more mediocrity from these All Blacks. It's interesting that you mentioned about the players backing their coach. You know, he's our guy, uh, which is like you say, he's the one that picked them, so more than likely they will. But they were the ones that backed him. They were the ones that really pushed and said, you know, this is our guy. They were also the ones out on the field that weren't adjusting to the way the referee was, you know, refereeing rucks and stuff. This loss, it's more on them, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, that's why I kind of say we have to move on from the foster narrative uh, to a degree he he is the coach through to the next world cup those junctures have kind of passed rightly or wrongly so yeah it has to fall on the players i mean you know they have to find a way to be better and as you say you can blame him foster for a lot of things he's not dropping the ball he's not getting penalized he's not missing his cleanouts at the breakdown all these things that the all blacks uh, are struggling with yeah it definitely has to fall on the players it's going to be a very, very interesting selection this week in hamilton because I think their their plan would have been, hopefully that you know the first string team they rolled out again would have got through this test nice and easy, and then they could have 
change things up with you know with not much pressure for the second test. But now they're under a, a massive amount of pressure. And just what Ian Foster does, does he make change? Does he give these guys a second chance, which sometimes coaches like to do, or you know, or does he buddy? Does he just get rid of them en masse? Because that's probably what they deserve, they deserves to be. So some big decisions to be made this week by Ian Foster uh, in his hometown of Hamilton, no less. Yeah, just finally before we go, would you rather have, I mean, so many people say, oh, just if I could just play one game for the All Blacks, 50 seconds for the All Blacks, would you rather have no seconds or 50? Well, yeah, I, yeah it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, you're an All Black once you've even yeah. got on the field these days in the modern era. So good on Stephen Perifeta, but it seemed like uh, tokenism at its worst in the modern game. It was a test cap given away in a dead bull type situation. So very disappointing, um, really. I mean, that's not really a test cap, is it? But Stephen Perifeta, you're a test All Black. Stuff rugby reporter there, Mark Hinton. Meanwhile, the Black Ferns beat Australia in Adelaide 22-14. to 14. Well, and amid numerous reports of airlines misplacing travellers' luggage, Bluetooth tracking devices are sold, at, and in fact they're sold out at many stores across New Zealand. The devices, which include Apple AirTags and Samsung Smart Tags, clip onto your bags, your purse, your keys, or even your pet collars, and then they'll beam a location that you can track uh, from an app on your mobile phone. Their rise in popu- popularity coincides with New Zealand's renewed enthusiasm for overseas travel. Tom Taylor reports. When we got to Auckland, they just told us that none of the bags that came from Bali had managed to transit in Melbourne, so they were all stuck there. Andrew Todd has just returned to New Zealand for a two-week holiday, the first time he's seen his family since before the pandemic. He travelled from Bali to Auckland via Melbourne, but his bags didn't arrive with him. It's a familiar story for many travellers. Mountains of luggage piling up at airports right around the world. Lost luggage is definitely a reality that we are seeing. We're not just talking about one or two bags, are we? There are some quite well-documented issues around uh, luggage challenges and luggage making the next flight. Warehouses and conference centres around the world are overflowing with bags misplaced by airlines. At the same time, sales of Bluetooth tracking devices, which can tell people exactly where their luggage ends up, have soared. Mr Todd works in Indonesia as a pilot, but when travelling as a passenger, even he wasn't immune to the pressures facing the industry. He says having a Bluetooth tracking device gave him some peace of mind. They were sold out in Bali and the stores had to order them online, so yeah, they've come in use. There's been so many horror stories that I'd packed like a fair amount of clothes in my carry-on because I kind of half expected to lose, lose the bag. The air tags were good because could just have a look at the iPhone and see where it was, and about three people... Also, they all pulled out iPhones and were like, oh, yeah, the bag's still sitting in Melbourne. And so then could sort of track it, came across from Australia overnight and then got queried out a few days later. At technology retailer PB Tech's Queen Street store, sales representative Chris Webb-Spate says Apple's AirTags have been flying off the shelves almost as quickly as they come in. They'd be consistently heading out the door. <laughs> we don't currently have any in stock at pretty much any store, so there's definitely been an increase in popularity. He's noticed some trends in customer habits and says many of those buying the products seem to be gearing up for overseas travel. I would notice that whenever someone came in to try and buy an outbound travel adapter, they would also probably buy an Apple tag or a Samsung one or a tile. They're relatively easy to use. You just slap them on something and, yeah, you just know where it is. The surge in sales comes as New Zealand's international departures reach their highest point since the pandemic. 
In August so far, there have been more than 250,000 departures, compared to January when there were fewer than 25,000. Southern Cross Travel Insurance Chief Executive Joe McCauley says there's been a big jump in luggage-related claims as Kiwis reignites their passion for travel. In terms of what we're seeing for lost and delayed luggage, these are currently making up about 6% of the total claims that we've seen over this last three-month period. And when we look at that compared to our pre-pandemic year, that was only 2%. From May to August alone, Southern Cross had 110 claims for lost luggage. But despite the high payout, Ms McCauley says having a tracking device won't become a prerequisite to make a claim anytime soon. I can understand how customers are turning to these devices at present with some of the disruption they're experiencing, but I don't anticipate that this is going to be a medium to long term problem for travellers. I think it's quite acute to this point in time. And it's certainly not a requirement to be able to claim against your travel insurance that you have one of these devices. Tom Taylor there with that report. Finally this morning, some of your feedback. I was asking what's something that you might have missed uh, after my friend missed a rocket launch that we'd really wanted to see in Florida. Here's one. I missed napalm, death and carcass. Oh, delightful. Uh, in Wellington, as I was having surgery, I'd been waiting for surgery for 16 years. Got two weeks notice in year. Uh, though, so it was worth it. It was gender affirmation surgery under the public health system. Talk about a waiting list. Still bummed I missed those bands though. Pip says, yeah, Maureen and Nathan, didn't our wahine do well and agree on the impressive rugby played uh, elsewhere? Let's acknowledge the skills that exist beyond New Zealand. See, the big picture of our success on the sporting front is stunning and let's celebrate and remember this rugby is just one sport, not the only sport. Uh, and another one, in Foster is breaking all sorts of records these days for our All Blacks, unfortunately records that no one would be proud of. What a horrible four-year nightmare we are stuck in. It's a rugby nightmare, sorry. Come out of this. Morning Report is next with Guyon Espiner and Kim Hill. Thank you very much, everybody who corresponded with the show today. For more from all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful Monday. We'll be back in your ears, uh, Paul Paul.